Welcome to Talking with the Animals, an exploration of animal communication. Join animal communicator, craniosacral therapist, and NES practitioner Caroline Pope as she discusses how to understand other species as they truly are, not just from the human perspective. That's right, Mecco. Discover how communicating with our four-legged friends can open up a whole new world for both of you. And now, your host and Australia's most recognized and well-known animal communicator, Caroline Pope. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talking with the Animals. I'm your host, Caroline Pope. Thank you for joining me. Today, before I start on our topic, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to each and every listener uh, having done now over 50 podcasts. I'm not quite sure where that all went, but at any rate, I do appreciate each and every one of you uh, for getting back to me, emails, messages, suggestions, feedback, and just general support. I may not always be able to respond in a timely manner, but I do appreciate each and every person that contacts me and everybody that listens. Today, I want to cover a topic that can be fairly sensitive for some people. It's people like to think that they're doing something for their animal. But the reality in a lot of cases is that they're actually doing it for themselves, not for the animal. I'm going to cover um, six cases here, two horse, two dog, two cat. And I'd be interested in your feedback, just having a think about what we yeah what it's all about and who are we doing it for the first horse is a 20 year old thoroughbred he's been competing he was raced he's then been competing at a reasonable level um showing three-day eventing type stuff he's had intermittent lamenesses that have of course got worse over time as we all do He's had a pretty cushy life until recently when he's been told, the owners have been told, um, that he really does need to be retired or just go into light trail riding. Even with um, joint pain killers and stuff like that, he just can't perform anymore. Now, the owner was very proudly telling me that she's found a horse retirement farm in the mountains for him which sounds lovely. But when I started uh, delving into it, this is somewhere that the horses can go. And basically, it's a large group paddock. Yes, he'll be with other horses. Thoroughbreds are very fine skin. For those of you that aren't horsey, they generally require quite a bit of rugging. They don't grow a whole lot of coat. This place is in the mountains. Now, a 20-year-old horse with joint problems who has always been rugged is not going to cope on a reasonably steep hill without a rug. The gentleman throws them hay, absolutely, but no hard feed. This is a horse that's had hard feed every day and been visited by a very dedicated owner daily. But because he can no longer perform, she wants to basically put him out somewhere where he's going to be really cold being realistic, very sore. He's not going to have medications. 
He's not going to be in work. So, of course, as he loses his muscle tone, the uh, joint issues and the muscular issues are going to be more pronounced. Quite frankly, if she's not prepared to give him honourable retirement, rugged and fed, I think the kindest thing would be to euthanise him. But she can't bring herself to do that. She claims she loves the horse. So she's going to send him off out of sight, out of mind. It's a four-hour drive, so it's not like she's going to be seeing him once a week. Who is she really doing this for? Because really, I don't think this is for the horse. The second horse is a five-year-old warm blood. Stunning, stunning looking horse that this lass bought to do a venting. Now, unfortunately, as nearly 70% of the warm bloods we've seen of late, this horse has ECVM, equine complex vertebral malformation. It's a malformation of the C6 and C7 vertebra in the neck. It's basically a death sentence. And the horse, sooner or later, usually by the age of 10, will have broken down. They can't feel their front legs. They're always in pain. And ultimately, the system gets to the point it's so compromised, the owner has to make a decision. Now, this girl knows this horse now has ECVM. She didn't when she bought him. Unfortunately, many, many people now are caught out like this. But she's bought him. She spent big bucks. So she still wants to go and jump this horse. She still wants to do dressage. She thinks she'll get a few years out of him. As I've pointed out, just because he's not dead lame and completely compromised does not mean this horse is in, not in pain. These horses have a lot of neurological pain, a lot of neural pain, uh, nerve pain because Basically, everything isn't where it should be due to the uh, malformation of the vertebra. All the muscle attachments and so forth aren't there. And the way this guy is twitching at the wither, I suspect one in 10 don't have a first rib. So all the attachments and all the musculature that should be going on a normal skeleton have had to patch themselves up into different places. And I understand she spent a lot of money. I understand she wants to compete, but knowing that this horse is compromised, knowing that he already has pain levels and on some days, particularly wind, can be unpredictable, why is she choosing to ride him at all, knowing he can't feel his front feet and that his system is compromised? And yet this is a well-treated horse. She loves the horse, or more correctly, I suspect, what the horse can do for her. I understand that she's lost a lot of money, but who is she doing it for? This is not in the horse's best interests. Puppy dogs. Uh, one of my friends, actually, we um, had quite a stand-up talk about it the other day. Got a lovely border collie. He's about... Oh, I think he'd be getting close to 10 now, getting a bit arthritic, particularly in the feet, as a lot of them do as they get older. And of course, 
the old no hoof, no horse. The moment your feet are sore, wear a pair of shoes that don't fit and you'll know what happens in a fairly short order to the rest of the body. Now, when we go jogging, we wear fairly expensive a lot of the time, professional joggers, shoes that cushion the, um, the road from our joints. Dogs don't wear Nike or Adidas or any of the other brands. They run on grass or concrete on their own, under their own steam. Now, this dog, she claims, loves to go jogging with her. He probably does. But the fact is, all four feet are swollen with arthritis. It is not the time to take a dog jogging on a bike track or on concrete. You need to start looking at where you run, how the dog is taken out, what sort of painkillers and how you can make life a little bit more comfortable. This dog actually snapped at her the other day, which is why she contacted me. She cannot see or doesn't want to see. Oh, but the dog loves to jog. The dog might like 15 minutes of jogging. It does not like the 23 hours of pain that those 15 minutes of jogging create. But she wants a dog to jog with and she only has the one. Who's she doing it for? Because for me, it's not the dog. I understand if you jog, you like company, but not at the expense of the dog having pain. The second dog is quite a cute little Maltese terrier cross. No one's really quite sure what. I suspect there might be some sort of poodle bichon. Really, really cute little guy. And it was a communication I did a couple of weeks back um, in New South Wales. And the owners love taking this dog to the dog cafe. Dog, however, not so keen. Now, the reason they call me is he actually bit someone. Why? Because they took him to a very, very busy um, shopping area that has some bistro-type stuff for breakfast on a Sunday morning, as many people do Sunday brunch. And the, they sat the dog next to them to have the proverbial puppuccino or whatever else dogs have, and someone stood on the dog. And when I said to her, well, why wasn't he under the table? Oh, there was another dog there. And I went, yours, someone you knew. Oh, no, that was a stranger. We just sat on the same table. So you're jamming a dog in a super tight area with another dog under the table growling at it because it wants to hide from under the table and doesn't want anybody else there. It's absolutely jam-packed. And the, your dog gets stood on. Oh, but he loves going for breakfast. He loves his pancake. And why can't you give him a pancake at home? Oh, but he loves going out for breakfast. We take him every week. And does he go running? Oh, no, he usually wants to lie in bed on a Sunday morning. He doesn't always, you know, we have to get him up and take him. Well, isn't that telling you that perhaps the dog would prefer it if you bought his pancake home in a doggy bag? Oh. Oh, but I, I like taking my dog to breakfast. Who are we doing it for? Again, 
This is not for the dog. This is for the human. Many, many dogs hate crowded areas. They don't feel comfortable in the same way that not everybody likes to go to a rave party, you know, with a heap of people in a very small area. Not everybody enjoys that. Not all dogs enjoy going out. Yes, there are some that certainly do. This dog does not and made it very clear. And it's not the first time this dog has been stood on. He's also had hot coffee poured over him accidentally about a year ago. The owners admit that but can't see why the dog may not enjoy being at a cafe as much as they do. Again, who are we doing it for? The last two are cats. First one is a very old cat and I do feel sorry for the owners. He's got kidney problems. He's had kidney disease for quite a while. Um, he's getting dementia and he's got to the stage now that he requires subcutaneous fluids, which is fine if he only required them once a week or once a month and had quality of life. So be it. They are now giving this cat who arcs up something chronic. I've got to say, he's not the world's greatest patient. So you know, remember, he's not a great patient. He'll try and nail the owner. They don't want to let him go. So he's having to undergo subcut fluids, which can be quite painful. IV is much more comfortable every second day. But does this make the cat feel a lot better? No, he's got past that point. He needs to go. But she can't bear to let him go and she can't bear to be without him. And really, you know, if he has the subcut fluids, then he won't be dehydrated. Who's she doing it for? It's not for the cat. He's nearly 19. It's a classic case of just because it can be done doesn't mean it should. The cat's never been good to handle. She needs to let him go and have a bit, let him have a bit of respect and a bit of dignity. Unfortunately, she doesn't always see it the way we do. And I just hope she doesn't keep prolonging or the vet makes the call for her. The last one is, I, and look, I've got to say, I can relate to this, I hate dentists. Kudos to my guy, he's fabulous, but he knows he's only going to see me about once every 10 years, I'm dental phobic. This cat is five years old. He's gone right off his food. He was a rescue. He's gone off his food. He's had a look at the vet. They have taken him to the vet because he didn't want to eat. And his mouth is atrocious. This cat is in a huge amount of pain with a couple of really, really rotten teeth and a raging mouth infection. Now, the owner says, oh, no, he doesn't like vets and he wouldn't like an anesthetic. So, um, yeah, she doesn't want to put him under to get his teeth done. Now, that's not about the cat. The cat needs to have those teeth out. And as soon as you've got any infection in the mouth or gingivitis, you've got constant infection filtering through the system. It's going to hit the weakest organs of the body. With cats, that's usually kidney. With dogs, that's usually heart. So she's actually setting the cat up for a whole lot of other health problems. 
She's saying, oh, couldn't you just take them out without an anesthetic? No. The cat's going to be in a huge amount of pain. He's not going to lie there and say, ah. And quite frankly, you know, I'd love an anesthetic when I went to the dentist. I think that's a fabulous idea. It's what the cat needs, but she doesn't think she could bear to give him an anesthetic in case he died. Quite frankly, if she doesn't, he will die as a result of. But again, you can't tell people that. They don't want to hear it. Apologies if you can hear Meko barking in the background there. Who is she doing it for? Because really, it's not for the cat. Now, the reason I, re I understand these are extreme examples, but the reason I'm bringing them up is for us all to have a really good think about decisions we make for our animals. Who are we really doing things for? Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking with the Animals. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Again, thank you to everybody that's listened to the show. It's hard to believe it's been over 50 episodes now. It Podcasting's been a real trip for me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and meeting each and every one of you. Stay safe. And remember, when you can, talk with your animal. Thank you for listening to Talking With The Animals. To learn more about Caroline and the services she provides, visit caroline-pope.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Caroline Pope Animal Communicator CST and NES Therapy. Are you ready to change the way you see your world and the animals in it? Well, we know his answer. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next time.